0: Welcome to a new episode of the Clip City podcast. I am your host, Yovan Buha, Clippers beat writer for The Athletic, and I am joined by Justin Russo, a.k.a. Fly By Night, a.k.a. kind of becoming like my co-host on here almost. It seems like you're on every other week at this point.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna start. To, I, I gotta start getting compensation for some of this.
0: We got, we got to cut the check. <laughs> cut the check,
1: <laughs> you know. I've, I've heard the check is in the mail for about 30 years of my life, so I understand.
0: <laughs> uh, well, so I'm coming here uh, from the road. Uh, I'm in my luxurious Spring Hill Suites, uh, hotel room <laughs> in Phoenix, Arizona, the night before the Clippers play the Phoenix Suns, uh, which. If, for those who don't remember what was the clippers first loss of the season uh and one of their worst defensive performances of the season so it's a it's going to be a nice test to revisit that uh you know a few months later
1: yeah that you know they've had some stinkers defensively like as good of a defensive team as they are though I think believe they're like sixth in defensive rating the clippers are but that phoenix game might've been probably one of their top two or three worst games they've, they've played defensively. They were just botching every rotation imaginable that that you could see under the sun. It was incredible.
0: Yeah. That was a rough game. Um, I, Which they know, were still it, in. Yeah, but that, that, that was, that was when Frank Kaminsky was was still playing oh, no. well and, and that was peak Aaron Baines. And um, you know, it felt like the sun's bigs hit like 10 threes combined that game. Um, I, I know it was less, but it, that's just how it felt.
1: Was that their uh, first game without Aiton? I felt like that was their first game without Ayton.
0: It was. I think it was their second game of the season, and he had played the first game and
1: then been suspended, and then, yeah. Clippers got to start, pl- got to stop playing teams their first game after anything because <laughs> that first Minnesota game after everything was a disaster.
0: That was, uh, yeah. Yeah. I- <laughs> That that will well you know that's that's a good segue into the, the first thing I wanted to get into with you because the, the Clippers had a bit of a rough patch to start the year right they they had that Memphis loss and the close wins against the Knicks and the Warriors and there was a little bit of panic and then some writer at the Athletic wrote some story. Uh, about team chemistry <laughs> that that kind of sounded some alarms. and that that kind of you know early to mid to even late January, you know, kind of stretch was was a bit weird because they, you know the the, the tough games that they played, uh, you know, they, they lost in Denver, uh, but they beat Dallas, they beat Miami. Uh, the Lakers game was postponed. They beat Miami again. Uh, but, but really, overall, that was kind of, a bit, you know, an easy stretch for this team where they, they faced, again, you know, the, the Grizzlies, the Knicks, the Warriors, the Cavs, uh, the, the Magic twice, the Hawks, even though they lost that game, uh, the Kings, even though they lost two of those games, <laughs> um, you know, the, the Timberwolves, and they lost one of those. But really, like, that sort of early January to early February stretch was you know, by by most measures, a relatively easy stretch, probably the, the easiest stretch of the Clippers season outside of a few tough games here and there. Um and, and they did pretty well, right? Like they they went on um you know they went to went on to win six of the you know next seven after that Memphis game. Uh then they had the road trip where they went uh you know well they went three and two or Sorry, 4-1, uh, and one, and then they were going to close it off with the Lakers game, but that got postponed after Kobe's death. Uh, and, you know, who knows how that game would have played out. But since then, uh, you know, they they went on to that four-game trip before the All-Star break in which that Timberwolves game happened, as you said, uh, where they lost by 27 points in Minnesota in the first game post-trade deadline. Go to Cleveland, whoop the Cavs by 41 points in the Cleveland's uh, biggest home loss. It might have even been their biggest loss in franchise history. I could be wrong on that, but it was definitely their biggest home loss in franchise history. Then they lost the two games to the Sixers and Celtics. uh, You know, the one time 103 to Philly. 141, 133 in double overtime to Boston. Then they came out of the break, lost to the Kings, and then just whooped the Grizzlies. Uh, but they had you know, lost three in a row for the first time all season, lost four of five for the first time all season, and people started to panic. And you saw it on the, the debate shows. You saw it on Clippers Twitter. You know, what's wrong with this team? Uh, you know, I, I'm out on the Clippers, this and that, everybody panicking, people starting to write them off. Uh, but, but then they come out and destroy the Grizzlies with a, a 40 to 14 lead you know first quarter lead uh, really put on one of their most complete two-way performances of the season it was just the fifth time this team has been fully healthy all season it was our first time to see the group of Zubots, Marcus Morris Kawhi Leonard Paul George and Patrick Beverly together uh, so you know the where are you at right now with the Clippers? Are people overreacting? Are you know is there some truth to some of the overreaction? And, and maybe it, you know it, it is a bit you know, steep of, of overreaction. But like, hey, like maybe there are some issues here that we need to talk about or address. Or where are you at right now with the Clippers? I think the
1: overreaction in some cases is warranted, and in other cases is like kind of just you're just kind of almost searching for things at that point. Where I think it's been overblown is like the losses to to the Sixers and the Celtics, especially because that was double overtime, the Celtics won. I don't view those as bad things. Like you lost to a Philadelphia team who I believe at the time had only lost two home games all season. And they had Ben Simmons at that time. And Ben Simmons is one of the most incredible players in the league. And now he's out. But, you know, they had no answer for Ben Simmons uh, against the Celtics. That was a gritty game honestly, I will say this about that Celtics game for the Clippers. I was more optimistic after that Celtics game than I have been after a lot of losses for the team, because at least in that Celtics game, the team fought, they were down early. They fought back several times. It never seemed like they were really in that game, but they kept fighting and scrapping and they got it to overtime. They even had a a brief lead in overtime. Uh, in the second overtime, I think they had a two point lead at one point, and then it kind of just really—it almost, almost, like, almost—I I can't even talk about right it. It was almost like they uh, ran out of gas, almost, to where they were just physically and emotionally exhausted after that road trip, and now they're in the second overtime against a good team, and you know, so I—I I don't look at those two losses as negatives for the team because most teams lose those games to Philadelphia and Boston on the road. The negatives, and where I don't think that the overreaction is so far blown, is. They should have beaten Minnesota. They should beat Sacramento, even if Sacramento, you know, is shooting really hot from three like they were in the game in late January or like they were in the game the other night, which is, you know, they had good ball movement and all this stuff. The Clippers should win those games. It it doesn't make a difference to me who you play and who's available a lot of the time. Because at the end of the day, I know a lot has been made about the Clippers health. You know, only 19 games with Patrick Beverly, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard in the lineup. I understand 19 games out of 57 is one of the most mind-blowing numbers out there because these are your three, in my opinion, your three most important players to success as we get into the postseason. And to only have them for 19 games is wild to me. But at a certain point, you got to kind of stop looking at it as almost like an excuse and start looking like, look, at a certain point, we got to start getting the job done. And they have it in some of the games they haven't. The two losses to Sacramento, the loss to Minnesota. There was the loss in Atlanta, which I understand several key guys were out, but you can't blow that lead. Like they've had some bad losses this season. So I understand the overreaction by some people, but I think a lot of it is overblown because as you said, Monday night was only the fifth time all season. They've had their full allotment of players and they're five and zero in those games. So are they a team that is good enough when they're fully healthy to basically be one of the best teams in the league from a win-loss from a win standpoint? Probably. But they haven't been to this point because they haven't been healthy. And that's, for me, the biggest concern. Their health is such a coin flip at this point that we don't know what we're getting on a night-to-night basis. It's almost like you throw your hands up in, in praise when the injury report comes out that no one's on it. And yeah. it, it happened today. They released the injury report for the game tomorrow against Phoenix and no one's on it. You're like, oh, thank God. Like, like who do I pray to? And that's just the case. They haven't been healthy. And look, three Paul George hamstring injuries, three Patrick Beverly groin injuries. You know, Kawhi Leonard had the little back issue for one game, which hasn't crept back up, thankfully. But, you know, you know, nicks and bruises and scrapes and bumps, they happen in a season. Every player in the season ends up getting uh, nicked and knocked around and it just happens. But for the Clippers, they just haven't been healthy. And if they're finally healthy now, I believe in them. But if they're not healthy, I can't believe in them because look, as as great as Kawhi Leonard is, if Paul George and Patrick Beverly aren't there, it kind of doesn't matter. That's the thing, right? It's like health for the Clippers is more, substantial and meaningful for them than playoff seeding all this talk about well they need to be the two seed or they need to avoid this team or that team or hey can they still make a play for the one seed like none of that matters and the reason i say it ma- doesn't matter is because if they're not healthy then it doesn't matter what seed they are they're not gonna win so if they're not healthy it doesn't matter where they go into the postseason as but if they're healthy and they're the two seed i don't know a team in the west that wants to play them
0: i'm in agreement with you i i think... It's been a weird season, you know, like, that. uh, like I, I just, I, this team is so confounding to me on, on multiple levels, just because I, I don't know how to properly evaluate them because again, as as we talked about before the podcast, I think to play devil's advocate to, you know, the, the Memphis win, like this team is so much better at home than they have been on the road this season. Um, like they're currently 38 and 19, 23 and six at home, uh, 15 and 13 on the road. So it's, it's not exactly Sixers level, uh, of a difference, but this is definitely a team that plays much better at home than on the road. Now uh, you, you have seen some of those disappointing losses, you know, twice to Sacramento, uh, the, the, Me- the Memphis loss, you know, in the beginning of the year those happened at home so it's not like they haven't had those stinkers at home and, and lost to teams they shouldn't but for the most part this team is taking care of business at home and played really well on top of that you know Memphis has lost three in a row for the last five I think they're regressing to the mean a little bit they have a very difficult stretch coming up Um, you know I don't to me they're not the typical eight seed like they are Probably, in my eyes, a sub-500 team, a, a team that probably shouldn't make the playoffs in, in most years, but this year has been, um, you know, the, the bottom of the West is kind of cratered. Uh, so that's not to really make excuses on the other side of things, but I think there's a little bit of fool's gold in uh, kind of the course correction uh, of the reaction to the Clippers blowing out the Grizzlies, where I, I think it might look better on paper than it actually was. Uh, but that being said, I think you you touched on a few things where the first thing for me is we're in agreement, it's health, uh, but there's no guarantee this team ever gets healthy. And that's the thing where, you know, you can't, a lot of times when we talk about this team, it's always in the future. It's always about their potential, what they can do, what we think they're capable of doing. And to some extent what they have done up to this point, but there's no guarantee this team's going to be healthy. Like, at this point, I have no confidence Paul George is going to be fully healthy during the playoff run. I have no confidence Patrick Beverly is going to be fully healthy during the playoff run. Uh, You know, Kawhi is now kind of stabilized where he looks better. Uh, He's gotten in better shape. Uh, You know, his legs don't, he doesn't go through those kind of like dead leg periods where he can't jump or his just shot looks off. Uh, You know, that's kind of, you know, stabilized. Uh, and, And outside of that, everyone else is, relatively healthy as far as we're aware. So you kind of assume those people will be healthy as long as nothing happens between now and and mid April, but the health is no guarantee. And this team has been health, you know, not healthy all season long. Uh, As I, you know, you've got PG missed a bunch of games, Landry, Pat, Kawhi with with his, uh, you know, resting Rodney Magruder, Jamichael. Uh, And and again, there's just no guarantee that this team is going to be healthy. And, what gets kind of tricky for me when we talk about their record when healthy is that, you know, th- th- those five games where they, they've been fully healthy, no team is ever really fully healthy. You know, so like that that's that, that's where it's kind of tricky where like how do you kind of eval- – And now, yes, I, I, as we're in agreement, like Kawhi, PG, and Pat are the three most important guys on this team probably. Uh, I, I, I quibble with, with Pat and Trez as the third most just because – I think Trez is so important given the role he plays and just how much doc throws at him in second halves, which is its own conversation. But if Trez is playing 18 minutes, uh, you know, a night in the second half, like he's pretty damn important because those, you know, minutes are really going to dictate, I think this team's ability to win close games. Uh, so the, the health thing is the thing for me to watch. You know, I just wrote about tense. Uh, storylines coming out of the all-star break. And that was my number one storyline for this team is can they ever get healthy and and can they stay healthy? Uh, The second thing has been the excuses. And I do think they've kind of used a lot of excuses and that's really the one difference between last season's team and this season's team outside of the expectations and the talent and the health. I think last season's team was at this point, probably more healthy than, than this season's team. Uh, but but this team has is, is kind of used a lot of excuses in the media. Mainly it's come from Doc, but even some of the players. And I get it, you know, the, the health, the continuity. They obviously made some trades, uh, brought in Reggie Jackson. Like, th- it's been up and down. But last season's team never really made excuses. If anything, last season's team rallied around the lack of continuity, rallied around the chaos and, and that kind of doubt that this team, that this season's team has not been able to really do. Like, I would not say they have overachieved. Like, I don't know. And I don't know if you disagree with that. Maybe you do. But, like, last season's team was kind of built around overachieving, defying expectations. This season's team, in part because expectations are so high, hasn't really had the opportunity to do that. But if anything, I feel like they've they've had those stinkers and then really just downplayed them as, like, oh, we weren't healthy. Oh, you know – uh, we don't have continuity. Oh, you know, we haven't practiced. And it's just been a lot of excuse making instead of sort of owning up to, hey, maybe sometimes, you know, the, the, the switch is off. And I do think the, the one thing I'll disagree with what Doc said recently is I do kind of think this is a flip the switch team. I think John Schumann's recent tweet about them being the number one ranked defense against the top 13 offenses really kind of highlights that because – if, if they're number one, you know, if they're sixth in defense in the league and they're number one against the top 13 offenses, just by doing the math, that puts them somewhere in that 12 to 14 range against the bottom 17 offenses. So why are you so much worse defensively against the, the worst teams? And some of that is Kawhi's, re- you know, rested some of those games uh, on back-to-backs uh, against worst opponents. Um, like, you know, like we mentioned the Atlanta game, uh, half the roster was out during that game. But I just, I think the health, there's no guarantee that, you know, Paul or Pat is going to be healthy in my opinion at this point. And I think some of just the mentality, you know, if people don't want to buy into some of the chemistry stuff, that's fine. You know, don't, don't buy into that stuff, but just taking what they've said publicly at face value, I think there's been a lot of excuse seeking, and justifying some of their bad habits and underperformance um, instead of just saying, Hey, you know, sometimes we do. And there was some of that earlier in the season I wrote about in December after the OKC loss that they've said they struggled with finding their identity. Sometimes they don't try as hard against lesser opponents. And, you know, so, so they have kind of said that at times, but for the most part, it's been a lot, in my opinion, of excuses publicly of just, Hey, continuity, health, yada yada where they're not the only team that's dealt with that boston's had a lot of injuries toronto's had a lot of injuries those teams on paper don't have the same talent level that the clippers do and they have better records now they do play in the east but um you know so where are you with you know we discussed the health but where are you with some of the excuses and some of the flip switching stuff because i think that stuff is kind of real
1: i absolutely believe it's real and look I kind of, I kind of subscribe to the theory of it's almost like human nature. When you know you're playing against a lesser opponent, you kind of feel like you don't have to try as hard because they're worse than you. And when they're, when, when you're playing against teams that you view as possibly on your level, well, you know, you want to beat the hell out of them. And so I get it. I understand that there's going to be times where, you know, you don't have your energy every night where even against sub-500 teams, you're going to be struggling. And and the Clippers have struggled at times this season against sub-500 teams. They're like something like uh, 25 a night, which I know it just sounds weird to say that that's struggling. But you look at some of the other teams like Milwaukee, Toronto, the Lakers, like they're not struggling with under-500 teams. Now, granted, in the case of Milwaukee and the Lakers, they've been healthier. And that's the key thing. Like health does matter. But at a certain point, it kind of doesn't. Because the system in place should be good enough to steal some games against teams you should beat no matter who's out. Now, I'm not saying you should win every game and I'm not saying you're going to win every game and I'm not saying also not saying like, hey, if you're without your top three players, you should win that game. <laughs> like, you shouldn't. Like, I, under- I understand losing those games. But at the end of the day, something has to change. Whether that's mentality or that's an actual someone talking in the group like, look, if we want to be the best team in the league, let's start playing like it. Let's not play like it once a week or or twice every couple of weeks. Like, just come to play every night with energy, rotations, communicate. Like, communication is their biggest thing. And the game against Memphis showed that. In the first quarter, if you go back and watch it, they're actively talking defensively about where everyone needs to be. And, and that's that's the biggest difference. I think they want to take it seriously. And John Schumann was right. You know, as you said, I saw his tweet about it, like the, the graphic that he had, how they are the best defense in the league against the top offenses in the league. It makes you wonder why, doesn't it? Like, why? Like, why why against the best teams and best offenses do you care, but against other teams you don't? It seems almost foolhardy in a sense where you're just not taking it seriously and maybe they are the te- a team with a switch where they just go, you know what, tonight we can play and we can just do this and we can wrap it up and we'll be fine. But that's a very
0: dangerous game to play
1: because if you if you don't play it correctly, you're kind of
0: screwed. Like Like, and I felt the Memphis game was that switch being flipped on where you just saw, you know, as you wrote and as, you know, people were tweeting all through the night, like there was a a visible difference in the way this team played defense in that first quarter. And of course, Pat and PG were back. It was our first time seeing that starting five. I thought they looked amazing defensively. You saw the communication from guys like Pat and Marcus Morris. Uh, You know, zoo was his normal self defensively. Uh, I thought Kawhi was everywhere. It just seemed to be kind of blowing stuff up and then recovering out and being on the ball. And, um, you know, just was kind of, you know, Draymond-esque in, in his ability to just do everything defensively. Uh, you know, PG, uh, I think, might have been the worst defender on the court. And if if Paul George is your worst <laughs> defender, you're in a pretty good shape. Uh, so I, I really like the way that starting five looked. And, and I think, you know, I know we're sounding a little pessimistic here, but, you know, keeping things in the big picture, this team is seventh in offense. They're sixth in defense. They're sixth in net rating. If anything, John Schumann's tweet, should be a positive where you're like this team can defend well against the top teams, you know, when they really want to um, at the same time though uh, I could be wrong on this, but I believe they're nine and seven against the current seven West playoff teams, uh, which is not that encouraging. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not exactly sure. I believe on the broadcast yesterday, they said they were eight and seven and then they beat Memphis. So that would make them nine and seven. Uh, but that, you know, now we're starting to the point where you do look at matchups. And I do think I would probably take this team in a seven game series against anybody in the West right now. Milwaukee, that's a coin flip for me that that would be tough. Um, but I, I do think the, the one thing and I'm not I don't think you're saying seating wasn't important, but I do think seating is going to be important with this team, with the home road splits and just with the recent history of um, you know, I, I just wrote about this where going back over the last 20 years, only three teams have made the finals not being a top three seed. And, you know, three of So it was the 2006 Mavericks were a four seed on a technicality where they actually yeah. won. They, they won 60 games, should have been the two seed. Uh, but because of the division tiebreakers, they got dropped to a four seed. Then you had the 2010 Celtics who had already won the championship were kind of on the the back end of the prime of their big three and dealt with injuries and kind of coasted in that regular season. Then you had the 2018 Cavs, who, that was the team post Kyrie, uh, you know, injuries kind of, again, coasting, it was the East. So it didn't really matter what seed you were. Uh, But, but really looking at recent NBA history, you have to be a top three seed to make the car, you know, the, the NBA finals. And also none of those teams that were the four seed ended up winning the championship. Now, small sample size, you know, that's kind of anecdotal evidence, but I do think there's something too, if the Clippers are, you know, do drop to four or five, you're now potentially having to win three or even four series on the road, you know, without home court advantage, which we just haven't seen over the last, you know, 20, 25 years, you probably have to go back to uh, the the Hakeem, you know, Rockets who are a six seed. So I I just, I think this team could, you know, if any team could do it, it would probably be this team, a team with two top 10 guys with, with probably the best one through 10 rotation in the league. Um, You know, when healthy, if healthy, uh, like, I guess the Clippers on paper would be the the one team to kind of do it. But if you're saying that the, the path to the finals looks like, you know, on the road in houston then on the road against the lakers then like on the road against the jazz or nuggets then on the road in milwaukee that's a pretty damn tough playoff bracket uh and you know again i think this team could do it but you want to have home court i think in at least two of your four series realistically so i'm very intrigued to see how healthy they are the rest of the way how they handle the the minutes, you know, I I think they got to cut back on the minutes for Lou and Pat, which is maybe where a guy like Reggie Jackson helps. Uh, But for me, seeding is actually going to be very important for this team. And I would view their finals odds, uh, you know, a, a bit differently if they're the four seed versus being the two seed.
1: Yeah, they're currently a game back in the loss column of two, and they have the big game with Denver coming up on Friday. These next six games at Phoenix versus Denver versus Philly, at OKC, at Houston versus the Lakers, those six games are going to tell you a lot about this team, especially if they're healthy. Because if they're locked in and they're healthy and they actually want to give a damn, those six games, they could do some damage and let people know that they're for real. If they're not locked in and they don't take it seriously and they just think that their talent's enough to get it done, could be quite uh, an eye opener for the team. You know, like you said, they're nine and seven against the other uh, seven playoff teams in the, in the West. And the injuries do play a factor in some of that. Like, yeah, j- j- just, just to be honest with it, th- like they were without Kawhi Leonard in one of the Utah losses, they didn't have Paul George in one of the Houston losses. Um, there was, what, the Denver loss? They didn't have Paul George either, I believe. And yeah. one of the Utah losses, they didn't have Montrezl Harrell. So, like, they've been without guys. I understand, like, it's not the reason they lost, but it, it helps It helps you give a sense of understanding as to why they happen. It's not an excuse. It just is the situation. The other thing is, and this is kind of crazy, Patrick Beverly, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Landry Shaman have missed 68 man games already. And it could yeah, it kind of reminds me a little bit of that first Doc Rivers year with the Clippers where Chris Paul, J.J. Redick, and Jamal Crawford combined to miss 80. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, it's hard, especially when, like, one position just constantly gets hit. Like, you know, the guard the guard rotation got hit by a lot of injuries, which is why Lou had to play a lot, which is why Reggie Jackson made sense for the Clippers to go get on the buyout market. You know, Pats missed 16 games. Paul George missed 22. Landry missed 17. It's not great when your top three guards, in my opinion, they're the top three guards for the team. I mean, you know, I could understand if people think that lose above Landry, that's fine. But three of your top four guards have combined to miss a ton of games. I'm trying to do the offhand math right now. I think it's 38. It's like 55 games. Those, those three have missed. That's, that's a lot so far in the season. That basically means in the first 57 games, you've been without one of them for each game. And it's not great. And, Reggie Jackson helps. I do want to talk about Reggie for a minute for a minute here because the signing of him made a lot of sense from the standpoint of it could help cut down Lou Williams minutes a little bit to save him for the playoffs. It cuts down on the burden of Landry Shamit to be a ball handler because also they were playing Landry a lot of minutes. They were Mm -hmm. giving him like 34 a night, which is fine in a vacuum. But because of the injuries, it kind of wears him down, especially now that he's had the ankle issue early in the season. And Reggie Jackson helps give you a injury insurance guy in case something happens to Patrick Beverly. That does not mean I think Reggie Jackson's better than Patrick Beverly. It just means that he's a competent guy with the ball in his hands that doesn't turn the ball over. And those guys really help you no matter what point of the season we're talking about. Preseason, regular season, or postseason?
0: So let's take a quick break and then let's talk more about Reggie and Marcus Morris. If you were to guess on average how many days people in the US have to wait to see a doctor, what would you say? A week, maybe? Actually, on average, people have to wait around 29 days to see a doctor in major US cities. Basically, a month. If you're dealing with a condition like erectile dysfunction, you want treatment ASAP. That's why our friends at Roman have spent years building a digital platform that can connect you with a doctor licensed in your state, all from the comfort of home. Roman makes it convenient to get the treatment you need on your schedule. Just grab your phone or computer, complete a free online visit, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. And if the doctor decides that treatment is right for you, Roman's Pharmacy can ship your medication to you with free two-day shipping. You also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have questions or want to adjust your treatment plan. With Roman, there are no commitments and you can cancel anytime. So if you're struggling with ED, go to getroman.com/clippers for a free online visit and free 2-day shipping. That's getroman.com/clippers for a free online visit and free 2-day shipping. So we've had a little bit of a sample size now of Marcus Morris and Reggie Jackson uh, obviously more Marcus than reggie reggie's only played a couple games but uh, you know what what have you learned in the the five games Marcus has played in the two games reggie has played about their potential fit on on this roster um, you know what maybe lineup configurations you like those guys in and how you know because for me the, my one pushback on the reggie signing and I agree with everything you just said I think he, he's Pat insurance. He helps ease the load on, on Landry and Lou, both minutes wise, you know, ball, like doc even said, ball handling wise for Lou, where he felt Lou was handling the ball too much and, and just doing too much offensively kind of gets him more in that scoring mentality. Yes. It makes the you know second unit extremely small and they really only have one plus defender in, in Jermichael green now on, on the second unit, but you know, that second unit is so good offensively um, compared to most second units that I think they're going to be just fine in, in most cases. And then come playoff time, it's going to be downsized to eight or nine guys. And, you know, you're always going to have Kawhi or PG on the floor and, you know, Pat Beverly or, or Marcus Morris on the floor. And that's really going to, I think, kind of balance out the offense, defense breakdown uh, of those units. But what have you learned over the past couple weeks uh, with Marcus and with Reggie?
1: I gotta say, Marcus is a better defender than I thought he would be.
0: Now, he is. He is. it's only
1: a handful of games. And I'm gonna be completely honest. He is not the point of attack defender that Mo Harkless is. Mo Harkless's length uh, allowed him to get on guards and kind of blow things up at times. Marcus can't do that. He can't guard guards, at least not consistently. There was a sequence in the game against Memphis where he got switched onto John Morant. Uh, and he actually walled him off on a drive and pushed the ball back out, which is good. You like to see that. But I have to say, his defense overall, especially his help and his rotations, have been a lot better than what I like anticipated. And I don't think we can talk about that enough. Because the th- the prevailing thought with him was, well, he's another offensive weapon. He has an off-the-dribble game in the mid-range. He's a spot-up three guy. You know, there's a chance he could become a chucker. Uh, yada, yada, yada. You know, you don't want him handling the ball all the time, stuff like that. But I do think his defense got underrated in in a large sense. And he's actually really has surprised me with his defense in the five games that he's played. This doesn't mean I think he's some incredible defensive player. It just means I think that he's better on that end than what a lot of people gave him credit for, which means he's not going to be a liability and actually, because of his size, he's thicker than Mo Harkless and stronger with his core, that he can guard true fours. And the fact that he can guard true fours also saves Kawhi Leonard and Paul George from doing that, which the thing that Mo Harkless saved the Clippers from, which, yes, he guarded some power forwards uh, several times, but mostly Mo kind of guarded on the perimeter and was their Swiss Army knife guarding. Uh, guards and pick and roll action stuff like that. Marcus doesn't do that. Marcus is a banger. He's able to guard actual forwards, which puts Kawhi and PG on more traditional guards. And as we saw in the Memphis game, especially in the first quarter, Kawhi and PG guarded John ja Morant a lot, and that's the byproduct of having Marcus Morris. Is it puts Kawhi and PG on guards. And to be honest, I'd rather have that. I'd rather have those two guard ball handlers more than anyone else. Those are your two best defenders on the perimeter. You would you'd reckon to believe that in the postseason that's going to be their job. So it's better they get acclimated to it now and then ramp up to do it in the postseason than just not do it at all and go in cold turkey. But Marcus's defense has been the main takeaway for me. I have liked his shot making. I like his aggressiveness. I know it rubs some people the wrong way. I think the fact that he can go off the dribble into the mid-range is a good thing. I know I'm not a big mid-range guy. But I find it kind of soothing to know that when everything breaks down, a Marcus Morris 18-footer off the dribble with six seconds on the shot clock isn't the worst thing. With Reggie Jackson, his defense is not as good as it probably should be due to his length, but at the same time, he tries. The other thing I like about Reggie's defense, he doesn't jump. Reggie's, Reggie tends to stay grounded. He does the Patrick Beverly thing of thing – he'll stunt at shooters to close out so that he doesn't get beat on straight line drives on closeouts. That's a smart thing. I wish more people did that because giving up uh, drives off of closeouts because you get up in the air is a pretty is a pretty bad thing to have happen at times. It leads to breakdowns all over the perimeter and even interior. But Reggie's ball handling is nice. He has had a couple weird turnovers, but he's only averaging 2 a game. He's playing 22 minutes a night. I understand it's just two games. I've liked his passing. I do think he can be a little bit better and more uh, precise with his passes. I don't think he's fully up to speed yet with the system, which I understand like that takes time. Th- there's been plays where Kawhi has come off of uh, pin downs from Zubats at the elbow. And Reggie has been a little bit late on delivering the ball. I don't know if he thinks Kawhi is going to jump out more to the point for that, or if he's going to curl down into the paint. It's almost, it's almost like he's just unsure of where people are going to be half the time, which I understand it takes times to it takes time to get used to everything, but Reggie's been fine. I kind of take issue with some of his shot selection. I take issue with his shot selection more than I take issue with Marcus Morris's. Believe it or not, because Reggie has taken some—I'm going to be nice—weird choices of shots as he goes to the paint. You're, he had you're the. Being, sw- you're being very nice. He, he, I don't know what the <laughs> hell that sweeping right hander was against Sacramento, but that needs to never come back. <laughs> That's the one I was like, dude, no. I liked his floater against Memphis. Was it Memphis or Sacramento? The floater against Sacramento was very nice. I don't think that's something he should go to a lot, though. I think what he needs to do is, I think he needs to be predominantly a spot-up guy and attacking closeouts when the defense rotates late. That's what his job should be as a shooter and as a scorer. I'm fine with him taking shots. I was fine with him in the Sacramento game taking transition threes, even if they weren't the best... Uh, choices or looks because as weird as it sounds, I'm fine with people making aggressive mistakes. If you make mistakes because you're being aggressive, at least I know your heart's in the right place. Whereas if you're being passive and you're making mistakes and you're afraid to make mistakes because of that, then I kind of just don't want to see you on the floor at that point. And Reggie's been aggressive. Marcus has been aggressive. I think Marcus's defense has made him obviously the better fit for the team. And the real interesting thing for me and this is, this is what I think Doc Rivers has to spend the last, uh, what are we at, 25 games to go. He has to figure out in the last 25 games what his closing lineup is going to be. Because I understand it's going to be a lot of his matchup based and stuff like that. Um, but he's going to have to figure out minutes because theoretically, you're going to have to find room for Montres Harrell, Marcus Morris, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Patrick Beverly, Landry Shamet, and Lou Williams. And last I checked, you can't play seven players on the court at the same time. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be somewhat matchup based, but they're going to have to figure it out because you can play Marcus as a five, but you got to be careful with it. And I don't know if playing him at the four in closing lineups is great because Kawhi at the four is a juggernaut that I think the Clippers need to go to more. So the closing lineup, especially with Marcus, is something they have to figure out.
0: And I think the guy you didn't even mention that really intrigues me from a closing perspective, although he has not played as well up to this point in the season as he did last season with the Clippers is Jermichael Green, right? Like he he was so big in that golden state series um, just with his, you know, his defensive versatility, his rebounding, his three point shooting, his floor spacing, uh, you know, and I think he's another one that probably probably, Bridges the gap even better potentially than Mark, you know, he's kind of almost in between Marcus Morris and Trez um, sort of with his skill set. where, you know, he is very similar to Marcus Morris in some ways, but he is a little bit more of a a true big, a a true five or or more of a five than Morris at least. Um, And and that's where I think he can kind of like, to me, I almost wonder if you go Jamichael, uh, Kawhi, PG, Landry, and Pat, like that, that might be. Um, so I guess two things or a couple things quickly. Um, I'm with you on Marcus. I, I think my my only. I think he's defensively he's been impressive, and I think that was the the kind of encouraging thing you saw in the Memphis game where they. You know, people always talk about the Clippers being small. That starting lineup is not small by any means. And not it's at not all. Not small with with Mo Harkless, and it's not small. You know, it's even probably bigger now with Marcus Morris in his place. But that is a big starting lineup. You know, Patrick Beverly might be six foot one, but he plays like a six foot five or six foot six guy. Kawhi and PG both, uh, you know, have long arms. Um, you know, Kawhi is obviously one of the stronger you know wings in the league. Marcus Morris is one of the stronger you know three point five four guys in the league. And then Zoo is seven foot one and, and, you know, 260 pounds. So that is a big, you know, the bench, yes, that is a smaller group. They're going with three guards. Trez is a six foot seven center. Like th- that is a small second unit, but the starting unit is, is pretty big. It is one of the bigger lineups in the league. Um, so I think he's fitting well defensively. Offensively, there's still some times where, I just think he he's learning how to play off of the ball sometimes, where it's just it's not a natural fit for him. And you know, he he almost he obviously shouldn't be your number one creator because then you're the Knicks, but <laughs> I almost think like he probably functions better as like a number two creator or three. And there are times with the starting unit where you know, especially when Landry was in there, where, where he was maybe like the number four guy, and I think that's, that's just a big adjustment for him. So I think that's something he's gonna have to just get comfortable with. Uh, Reggie, his defense has been pretty bad, I, I would say, um, and I think he, he does make up for it with his length and some of his instincts. But the guy cannot get around a screen, um, oh God, and that, that was <laughs> that was something I, I'd heard from some people, you know, post trade because. You know, a lot of his defensive metrics are, were league average or above. It actually painted him as a you know average to, to plus defender. But when you actually dig into the film, he really struggles getting around ball screens, getting around off you know screens off the ball. Um, you know, he, he dies on screens, and, and he's he's not the best. You know, he's a decent help defender, but but he's not great. Uh, offensively, I, I agree. I think some of his he had some erratic drives in, in that Sacramento game. And I didn't love a, a couple of the pull up. I like. I, I'm fine with a with a semi contested three. I don't love it when there's 19 seconds left on the shot clock. Um, That's understandable, especially when you have Kawhi and PG on the court. Uh, and I think Landry was also on the court. So it's like, well, PG didn't play the Sacramento game, but if it's it, it was Landry, Marcus, and Kawhi, and if you have those guys on the court. And you're just dribbling up and taking a, a, a pull up contested three in transition. Uh, I don't love that. So, for me, my my one thing with with the Reggie and, and Marcus additions that that concerns me, and I still have some concern over this is, I I wonder if this team has too many irrationally confident role players. Thank um, you for saying that. And <laughs> like you know, it they're, they're like because. Let's be real here, right? Like, you have Kawhi and PG, those are the all star, all NBA superstars. After that, everyone else on this team is like Lou Williams and Montrose Harrell are role players. They, they're they are not all stars and they are not near all stars. You know, there is a whole gap um, between, you know, there's like the all stars, then like the kind of fringe all star, like really good player. And then there's like the Lou and Trez group. Like th- there's a whole other, I-, I think, you know, group of guys between them and like the Kawhi PG level. So there's a pretty sizable gap, in my opinion, between like Paul George and the third best Clipper, whoever, you know, whether that's Pat, whether that's Zoo, whether that's Trez, whether that's Lou, Landry, whoever, you, Marcus, whoever you want to pick as that third best guy. I think there's a sizable gap there. And all those guys are role players. Um, so th- the problem is, you know, like Pat Beverly, hero Lou Williams, Marcus Morris, Reggie Jackson, any of those guys probably thinks they're the best role player in the league and they're, and they're better than, you know, just, you know, they don't view themselves as role players. And I think it's great. You, you kind of see like going back to th- those Boston teams, right. The doc won with, you had your Eddie house, you had even a Sam Cassell though, I don't know if he was a rational confidence guy. He was just a wily veteran. But, like, Eddie House really was that type of guy. Um, I guess those teams maybe had a few. But I just wonder it, – It's one, again, it's one thing to do this all in the regular season. But when you get to the playoffs, you really need the, the, the chain of command, the hierarchy to be clear where you can't have Lou and, and Trez and, and Reggie and Marcus taking certain shots, uh, you know, like, like you can't have Reggie Jackson taking a, a pull up three with 19 seconds left, to, you know, on the shot clock in the playoffs. You just can't have that. And, um, you know, even if it go like there was one shot he, he took, um, I think I want to say it was, it was another contested three in the Sacramento game that went in. Oh, no, no. no. So, well, yes. But I, I also think Trez had a shot where he dribbled, I think, full court and ISOed on the wing and, and then drove and hit some crazy runner. And to me, it was a terrible shot. Like it went in great, but those are the type of possessions that I don't think will work in the playoffs. And that's my one thing with this team where I just look at it. I'm like, there's all, I think there's too many guys who think they can take some of these shots that they probably shouldn't. And it's okay to have one or two of those guys when you have four or five of them, that's where it starts to potentially become a problem because you almost have two in every lineup. And and in some cases, if you're looking at the bench, you, you might have three or four of those guys t- playing together. So that's my only thing. Uh, but to to go to where you were going with, um, I, I just lost my train of thought. Um, well, well hey, here, this is all I was, oh, was
1: going to say. Ahead. Here's the funny thing. You said irrational confidence, guys. This is like having six Austin Rivers and <laughs> Crawfords.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> No, um,
1: well, it really is like the, the, they were irrational conference guys. And some nights it works. Some nights it didn't. Some nights you pulled out your hair. Other nights you're like, Oh, that's why, that's why I like them. And you know, there's a couple of things I want to touch on real quick. Number one, I think the one thing I've kind of griped the most with, with Marcus Morris has been, I don't know if you've noticed this, but he'll get the ball kicked out to him in the corner and he'll pump fake defender flies by. And then he steps into the mid-range and you can actually actively see him thinking, wow, I should take the mid-range shot. Oh my God, the lane is wide open. And then he drives. <laughs> and he did it against Memphis and he scored. And it's something where I I think he's trying to learn how much space he really has on this team. Because when, when he was with the Knicks, if defenders would fly by, a second guy was right there. So he had to pull up in the mid-range. But now, because of everyone else around him, I think he's going to have to learn, like, hey, when a guy goes by, there's a ton of space to just go to the rim. With Jermichael Green, I think he should get third center minutes. I really do. I think that in to break up the Montrez Harrell, you know, 16 or 18 minutes at a time kind of thing, for a couple minutes in the third or in the fourth quarter, I mean, I think it'd be fine to have Jermichael at the five. Like, obviously, Doc trusted him against Golden State in the first round last season, but I think it's... Adequately fine to have him plays, you know, three to four minutes as a center, like in the fourth quarter, like in the middle of the fourth quarter, just to get Montrez some rest to check back in a little with a little bit more in the gas tank. Like it's fine to have jermichael there for that. Another thing, this is with Reggie Jackson, which I found really interesting. I was talking with Duncan Smith, who is the side expert for Hoops Habit and the Pistons contributor for Forbes. Mm -hmm. I I had him on my podcast about Reggie Jackson the other day. He mentioned two things to me that I had not previously heard with Reggie Jackson. Number one, Reggie Jackson has asthma. I didn't know that. So so that's why Reggie Jackson's minutes, like he never really plays above 27. If you look at his Pistons career, minutes per game wise, he was always like 27. Um, He's been at 22 with the Clippers. Granted, it's two games. Who knows how that uh, matriculates down the line. The other thing that I didn't know about Reggie Jackson, his asthma acts up specifically when he's in dual purpose arenas, which as we know, Staples Center is. If there's an ice rink underneath the floor, Reggie Jackson's asthma kind of kicks up a little bit more. So that's going to be an interesting thing to watch with Reggie Jackson going forward is how he kind of deals with the fact that he's in an arena where there's a hockey rink underneath him. And maybe, you know, like, because Duncan, Duncan did tell me, he said, you're going to see about a three or four minute spurt out of him. And it's not going to look like he's expending much energy. And then the camera will zoom to him and he's just like huffing and puffing. And that's the asthma. So it's gonna be interesting to see how all those things work themselves out. Uh, you know, because Jermichael does deserve center minutes here and there. Marcus has to realize there's more space on the Clippers than there was with the Knicks, and Reggie's asthma could play a factor in some of his minutes.
0: So I I remembered what I was going to bring up, which is something I think I've brought up in almost every podcast I've done this season, uh, which is the closing lineup, which which you had mentioned. And aside from the health concerns and the potential seeding concerns with this team, which almost go hand in hand, right? You know, if they're not healthy down the stretch, they're they're probably going to end up being a lower seed. So you kind of think if they end up being the two seed, they probably were healthy and, and they're in a good spot heading into the playoffs. If they end up being the four or five, they either really underachieved and, and, you know, just didn't turn the switch on and, and, um, you know, had some stinker losses or they weren't healthy and this team is in a weird spot kind of heading into the playoffs. But taking those two factors that are kind of somewhat out of their control uh, and putting them to the side, the thing that's in their control that does actually give me pause, and this is the one thing that has given me pause uh, amid all this you know, again the the the, the first take debates and the the debates on Simmons podcasts and uh, you know everyone blowing the whistle on the Clippers and, and writing them off. I do think that the, the closing lineup is a problem. I think that the more, I, again, like you know, Pat didn't play in the Philly game, PG didn't, and Pat both missed the Boston game. You know, PG only played a quarter and a half, um, and, and then you know, they both missed the Sacramento game. So it's with the caveat that those two who probably will close games were not closing. I do not love Lou and Trez in the closing lineup. And I've kind of been saying that since the preseason, that was one of the first things I said about this team of like potential things that can undermine them, seeing them against Philly and and Boston and even Sacramento I kind of think the best version of this team features both of those guys on the bench. And I just don't know if doc's going to do that. And really like he said all season, you know, I've asked him about it. Uh, Andrew Greif has asked him about it. Uh, Tomer as just asked him about it recently, you know, closing with zoo instead of trez and time and time again, he's hedged it. He's come up, you know, docs come up with excuses why trez has closed games. Um, You know, we, We've called him on some of them. Uh, You know, I wrote after the Denver game how it was just not true what he said about Zoo struggling in the second half against Jokic. That just was, if you watch the film, that was not the case. Um, So, like, at this point in the season, I've given up hope that Zoo is going to close games. It is what it is. Like, you know, I know Clipper fans are upset about it. They they tweet about it every game on, on Clipper's Twitter. But, like, it is what it is. Zoo is not closing games barring Trez fouling out or or getting injured. Like, it's at that point. Uh, You probably have a greater chance of Jermichael or Marcus closing at the five than Zoo closing at the five. So it's Trez or one of those two at the five. And I think if you go in looking at that, I just, I I have some concern defensively with, with how, you know, I think there's some of the offensive stuff where those guys, especially Lou, can cannibalize the ball and take away shots from Kawhi and PG. But I think defensively, he saw it in the Philly game. Embiid just ate Trez. You know, it was just it, – it was like you, you might as well put Kawhi on, on Embiid at that point. Like he, he probably would have had a better job defending him than, than Trez. Uh, I, I thought Zoo hold, held his own, got a couple tough foul calls, ended up getting that fifth foul, which should have been on Jermichael, which Jermichael protested and, and tried to get the refs to reverse. But they called it on Zoo. He got benched for the rest of the game. Uh, but I thought he actually def- – I mean, look, Embiid's Embiid. He's probably the best post player since Shaq. Like he's going to get his 25, but I thought Zoo held his own. Um, so that game really gave me a lot of pause uh, on Trez against the Embiid, Gobert, Anthony Davis, um, you know, type, Jokic types, which, you know, I've already had some pause on. Uh, but, but then Lou, I thought in the Boston game, A took way too many shots, even though he, he hit some big ones. Uh, you know, 33 shots is way too many then he got you know brad stevens is is one of the better coaches in the league and he really targeted lou and i thought really exposed trez as a help rotation guy and and then the sacramento game you know that was a bit fluky and and that was again without pat and pg but some of the same defensive concerns and I, i just really wonder if we accept the premise that this team's closing lineup probably features Kawhi, pg lou trez and a rotating fifth guy whether that's pat Marcus Landry, whoever, you know, I, I just have, I I don't know. I I don't know if you can really win in the conference finals and finals with Lou and Trez playing defense, uh, like in in that lineup, because I I just think their, their defensive liabilities, I think the smart teams have schemed against them. And that's my one concern. I think this team is talented enough that they can overcome that um, especially offensively where they they just have so much firepower. Maybe it doesn't matter, but when you get to, the Rockets, the Nuggets, the Lakers, the Jazz, and whoever comes out of the East, I really think this team has to revisit the closing lineup and and reevaluate that because I don't think the current group is going to get it done.
1: To further illustrate your point, in the Sacramento game, I was horrified by one specific action the Clippers had no answer for. And I swear to God, if I ever see Kent Bazemore post up against Lou Williams ever again... <laughs> Send FEMA because that was a bloodbath. All Sacramento did was post him against Lou Williams. Kent Bazemore on Lou Williams. I never knew that was gonna be such a mismatch, but it was. They just kept posting him over and over and over and over. And in a way, I had PTSD flashbacks to, I don't know if you remember this, but when Jimmy Butler was in Chicago, there was a game against the Clippers where Doc put Reggie Bullock in against him, and all Chicago did was give Jimmy Butler the ball in the mid-post, and it was like a horror film. That's exactly what happened against Sacramento, and that's why I agree with you. I don't know how much you can play them down the stretch of games, Lou or Trez. and And honestly, it seems like Doc might kind of like starting to understand this, I'll give you some numbers as to why I think this is actually starting to take precedence in his mind. Lou Williams, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Montress Harrell have played 112 minutes together this season. However, 98 of those came through December 31st and those were in only 14 games. That's an average of seven minutes per game that they played. So 98 minutes through 14 games, seven minutes per game. The team was plus 23.5 in net rating during that time. They've only played in 14 minutes together since January 1st. Now I understand some of that's due to injuries. Uh, Paul George has been out quite a bit. So that's why those minutes are kind of down. However, those 14 minutes have come in eight games, which comes out to only 1.75 minutes per game of court time together. Their net rating is minus 13.3. So... I'm kind of starting to have the belief that maybe Doc is realizing you have to kind of get rid of one of them, at least in the closing lineup. And honestly, that guy's probably Lou because as much of a gripe I have had with playing Montrose Harrell, so many consecutive minutes, it's been a problem all season. The bigger problem is Lou Williams perimeter defense, because if he gets beat on the perimeter, that kind of throws everything else into chaos because now guys have to scramble to cover for him. And then guys have to help helpers all over the court. And either you're giving up layups or you're giving up open threes because no one's rotating fast enough to what's happening. The ball always moves quicker than the man. So I think what's going to start happening, and maybe this is me just being, you know, a rainbows an optimistic guy. I think Lou's going to get his minutes cut at the end of games. That doesn't mean I think Reggie Jackson takes them. I think Pat gets them, and I think Landry gets them. I could also see Doc in some matchups just going bigger, and just going to you know Pat, uh, PG, Kawhi, Marcus, and Montrez, and just being like, you know what, we'll just we'll just have Montrez instead of Zoo, and it's basically our starting lineup. But the closing lineup has so many options that I also think it's a problem. You're almost it's almost too much of a, of a good thing, you know where you have to figure out like little intricacies to get everyone involved in the right way and to plug holes that are obviously like problems. So they have to figure out how to mitigate the defensive uh, shortcomings of Lou and at times Montrez, which I've given Montrez some grief over his defense, but I think his rim protection numbers have been better than I think other people realize. But he's still not the rim protector that Zubats is. Which is understandable. He's not seven one like Zoo is. That's a big deal. Um, but I think the guy who might be the odd man out is Lou. I really do.
0: I'm with you. And I, I was going to say once you brought up, you know, the, sort of the opt, you know, what's given you optimism lately. I think Doc has been benching Lou more recently, and again, Pat's been out. Um, so that, that's kind of. I think Pat would have gotten. I mean, like if Pat and PG play in that Boston game, they, I think they win that Boston game and those guys are, are part of that closing group. And I, I'm with you. I, I think it should be Lou. Um, personally, I think it should be both. And I, I know I, I, I Kate for Zubats. I, 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 you know, I know you do too. I know a lot of Clippers Twitter does. So, I'm even like at the point where it's like, look, I, I've again, I've given up on Zubats closing games. Like, play Jermichael at the five, play Marcus Morris at the five. Like, I just think there there needs to be, like, I, I just trust those guys more defensively. And I, I think w- for me with Trez, it's not just the rim protection; it's the rebounding. That that that's really yeah. the bigger thing for me. Is you know, like going back to that Atlanta game. Uh, where they gave up so many offensive rebounds in that fourth. And I think a lot of the times you see, you know, when you see this team lose close games, one of the trends has been giving up lots of offensive rebounds in the fourth quarter. And part of that isn't even on Trez because as you mentioned, he's playing, you know, 15 to 18 minutes straight, almost every second half. Um, and, and it's just, you know, ridiculous amounts of minutes that you don't see Kawhi play. You don't see PG play. You don't see Lou play like it really doesn't make sense why Doc just wouldn't put Zoo in for four to five minutes in the fourth, give Trez a, a rest, and then close the last. If he really wants to close the Trez, you know, take him out to start the fourth, play Zoo four minutes or whatever, and then have Trez close the last like seven or eight. And that will keep him fresh because, Trez, you know, for a guy like Trez, he thrives off of his energy and he doesn't have much energy if he's playing 18 straight minutes. Like, and now you are making him a six foot seven center instead of him playing up, which he's capable of doing. Um, But again, I I just, to me, I think my, at this point I think my ideal lineup looks something like, you know, Pat Landry, uh, Kawhi, PG, and Marcus Serger Michael at the five. Uh, Maybe if it's a bigger team, you go Jamichael, Marcus, Kawhi, PG, and then you know probably Pat uh, just for his, his ball handling and playmaking, but maybe Landry if he's having a good shooting night. Um, but I, I think those would be like the six – those would be the six or seven guys that I would focus on and really just not Lou and, and Trez because I, I think Lou takes away from Kawhi and PG offensively and is a one of the worst defensive players in the league. And, and Trez, I, I think at his best is is an average defender. I mean, he does have the gravity as a roller, and that's very important. But I don't know. I, I mean, I'm with you though. I think it, the the compromise ends up being Trez, Kawhi, and PG are, are the three locks, and the last two spots rotate between Pat Landry, Marcus, and Lou, and, and it's some combination uh, of you know two of those four. For for me again, I would probably bench Lou, but. That to me is the one thing, though, because I, I thought Philly really exposed it. You know, Philly. Uh, you know, late in that game, uh, Josh Richardson, uh, you know, got that three and that offensive rebound, or sorry, the the back cut um, mm-hmm. uh, against Lou. Uh, you know, and then Brad Stevens brought Lou into almost every action late in the game and, and made his man the screener, which was often Marcus Smart. And in that case, Lou either has to switch onto Jason Tatum. Um, or, or Gordon Hayward or whoever's dribbling the ball, or he has to you know rotate to his man who's either popping out or or you know rolling. And Lou is not really great in those split second you know instinct decisions defensively. So either way, you're either making him switch or you're making him have to make a quick decision on the move, which he's not great at. Uh, and I, I just think again when you get to the Rockets or, or the Nuggets or some of these teams that. Move the ball, have multiple perimeter threats, shoot the three really well. They're going to exploit him, and at some point, I think his defense becomes a, a his defense. I, honestly, I think outweighs his offense even at this point. Like unless he's scorching and he's shooting, you know, fifty-five plus percent on a night, I, I think his defense outweighs his offense, and and that's where I'm at with that. So that's the one thing I would say. I've grown a little bit. Worrisome with this team is again, you know, th- those three games that they lost in a row all came down to crunch time, but they all were somewhat shorthanded with some combination of Pat and/or PG out. So you know, we don't know what it would have looked like had those guys played. But I, I you know, I'll, I'll leave it with this: of I just think that's something to monitor, and I do think if for whatever reason, you know, if this team can stay healthy and, and get a good seed. The one thing I'm concerned with that I think could unravel them, the only thing in my opinion, um, outside of maybe some guys taking some shots they shouldn't, it is just sort of the, the closing lineup, what that looks like, and, and Doc maybe trusting some of the wrong guys. Because I think up to this point in the season, I've not loved it. They have lost some games. I think they, they could have won, had certain other guys played. And that's just something to monitor from for my end.
1: You know, you mentioned how... In the fourth quarter, like, you know, it's you'd want to see Zoo come in for a couple minutes or even just Jermichael. And I think that's the thing that is kind of maddening is the rotations just haven't been the same because the normal ZooBot's rotation is he'll play like six or seven minutes to start the game. Then he'll play like a four, like a three or four minute block, like kind of late in the first. He usually finishes the first uh, in some games and then he'll play the first five to six minutes of the third quarter. And then he just doesn't, play the rest of the game. Now that I'm not saying bring zoo back in for like five minutes in the fourth. You can do that with your but you have to limit the amount of consecutive minutes. Montres Harrell is playing. You know, you said he's an energy guy. Well, when you're running on empty, you just don't have any more energy to give. And when you get to the postseason, everyone's at the same level of intensity that you're at now, it becomes a lot harder to continue performing when you're exhausted. Um, as for the closing lineup, that fifth spot's really in flux. I'm totally fine with Landry Shamet getting a permanent spot unless they just decide to go big. And I kind of think that's the upside of the Marcus Morris trade, right? It's like now in the closing lineup, we saw it a little bit in the Cleveland game when he played and uh, Kawhi missed it because of injury management and PG was there. We saw some lineup of like Landry, Paul George, Marcus Morris, Jamichael Green and Montres Harrell, if I'm not mistaken. You know, that's a that's a big lineup. That's a very big lineup. So the Clippers have this ability to match up with anyone except if teams play traditional centers down the stretch of games, which, you know, Philadelphia will, um, the Nuggets will, Utah will, Houston will with P.J. Tucker. Um, I'm just joking, obviously. <laughs> but, but, uh, <laughs> um, but, you know, like, look. The Lakers won't because Anthony Davis is their five to close games. So in theory, you could kind of get away with Montrezl Harrell there uh, against him, which they have in the fourth quarters of the first two meetings. Um, it's not going to kill you against Milwaukee, except for the minutes where you're going to have to deal with Giannis barreling towards the rim like a madman. Um, outside of that, there's not many teams that are going to out uh, size them. I think a lot's been made about the Clippers lack of perceived lack of size. I don't think they're small. I just don't think they're tall outside of Zubats, but they make up for that in other areas. Like they have a lot of guys who are six, nine and they've gotten flack for not being, you know, not having bigger guys like traditional centers and stuff. But at the same time, they have a lot of the guys that people are going to struggle with, like wings. Like they have three really good wings in, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, and Marcus Morris. So I think the one thing to kind of pay attention to down the stretch of this season is how does Doc Rivers try to match up with other teams or does he do what I think he should do, which is dictate matchups to other teams where if a team is perceived to be playing uh, much bigger than you, maybe you go smaller to a five-out set Uh, with Jermichael Green at the five and space them out. Maybe if a team goes bigger, I'm sorry, I already said bigger. Maybe if a team goes smaller and, you know, against the Houston Rockets, maybe you just play bigger. Maybe you just play a Montrez at the center spot and just deal with whatever comes. Or if you really want to, Marcus Morris at the center spot. So they, they have all these variations of lineups they could go to to close games. But at the end of the day, the two guys who absolutely need to be in there are Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. And the third guy probably should be Patrick Beverly. And after that, you're going to have to figure out two spots. And Lou Williams' defense makes it very hard to play him in crunch time. That's why I like Landry Shamit. Montrose Harrell's, uh, I'm not going to call a lack of rim protection because he's been fine on the metrics this year. But his, you know, he's not as tall or as physical or as big as traditional centers. That's that's a thing they're going to have to figure out. So I'm fine with Jamichael getting run there. Personally, and I'm going to end it with this. Personally, I think the one thing this season has missed, which has happened because of Jermichael Green being out for nine games and Kawhi Leonard being out for 13, I think Kawhi and Jamichael should play more together. Uh, Kawhi asked for Jermichael to come back, and he did. And he resigned. I would like to see them play more together. I think that's a lineup and a unit... There's some switchability there defensively. And Jermichael's ability to space the floor is something that, you know, I understand he's not a great shooter, but he has gravity. Teams pay attention to him. And if they don't, he can knock down open threes. So I would like to see those two play more. I think if you get Kawhi, PG, and Jermichael out there, Maybe alongside Marcus Morris, I think that's something that the Clippers can kind of hit a home run with, but maybe that's just me fantasizing in my mind and it might go different on the court.
0: Yeah, I think this is something we've talked about. I know Doc really prefers Jermichael with Lou and Trez in the second unit and just the way the rotation has kind of gone. Kawhi hasn't played a lot with the second unit and it's often ended up being PG, but I do think... You know, I, I want to give Doc the the benefit of the doubt. In as I thought in the, it, I thought of the, like in that Philly game, had Zoo not picked up the fifth foul, I, I think maybe he ends up playing more minutes. Um, I think as, as we just discussed, he has you know benched Lou at times late in the game, where it's kind of been appropriate. Um, and, and in those games, he's had to close again no PG and Pat in Boston, you got to close with Lou. And that's kind of the thing where I'm at with it is I'm flexible with, of course, if PG's out, all right, now you probably need Lou scoring. And you just got to kind of, you know, but again, maybe that's where you go with Zoo instead of Trez to kind of make up for the defense. But Doc has really shown no flexibility on the Zoo-Trez thing. And I I almost just wish you would come out and just say it instead of like dancing (laughs) around it and kind of like making up – excuses that are are just not justifiable in in my opinion, but um, it's very clear. He does not trust the Vita Zubats. He has an artificial cap of 20 to 24 minutes at the most, but probably 20 to 22 minutes on most nights. Um, And that's just is what it is. Like I've given up on it. He's not closing games. I think he could. And and I think he should against Denver and Utah and, and maybe, maybe Milwaukee or, Definitely Philly if they play them in the finals. Um, I would like to see more flexibility in that lineup, but look, they haven't really been healthy. And and so it's also kind of hard to glean much from what they've actually done up to this point.
1: Do you want an interesting... So here, Kawhi Leonard and Jermichael Green have played 311 minutes together. They have a plus 14 net rating. Um, that's That's the third highest among players that Kawhi Leonard has logged 100 minutes with. The only two players above him are Patrick Beverly, who Kawhi's played with the most, they're plus 15. And Montrose Harrell, who they've played 600, 655 minutes, they're plus 15.7. I'll give you an interesting one, though. 99 minutes of Patrick Beverly, Kawhi Leonard, and Jermichael Green, plus 35.0. Wow. I I And look, I understand, you know, numbers don't tell full stories. I get that. And like small sample size of 99 minutes, things are... You know, they're so like one, one bad five minute stretch can shift things. I understand that. But I do think there is some positives out there with, you know, there, there's a there's a Patrick Beverly, Kawhi Leonard, Jermichael Green, Montrez Harrell lineup that's played 81 minutes together, plus 44.5. And I think that, look, if you go with those four, you just slot Paul George in and that's your five. And you still have your role guy in Montrose Harrell. You still have your floor spacing popper in uh, Jamichael Green. You still have your two elite two-way guys on the floor in Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. And you still have Patrick Beverly, who I'm just going to basically call him the czar. He basically oversees everything. You know, he's in control. Doc trusts him with his offense. Um, If you roll those five out there... And I understand though, they've only played 12 minutes together this season. So, you know, it's hard to tell how that would go in a further uh, enlarged sample size, but I'm fine with that being the closing lineup. And you said it like zoo has a cap of about 20 to 22 minutes. He rarely goes over that, Um, which I always find funny because um, one of the, I give doc lots of leeway. I, the only thing I haven't given him leeway with the season mostly is the Zubot stuff, but I will say, I do find it kind of funny. That on nights you know he's not going to play more than twenty to twenty two minutes, Zubats will get like that fourth foul like four minutes into the third quarter, and then Doc will yank him out. And the one thing I keep screaming is, what the hell do his fouls matter? You're not going to play him more anyways. Like, <laughs> like it doesn't matter if you picked up his fourth foul. You can play him a couple more minutes. It's not going to kill your team. So you know I I don't know I. Look, Doc has a tough job. I don't want to sit here and act like oh, I could do a better job than Doc. I couldn't. Doc Rivers is a championship level coach. You know, he's there for a reason. Like he understands, you sound just he's forgot more about basketball than I could ever hope to learn in my life. It's just like little tweaks here and there aren't going to kill the team, I think. And as it comes to the closing lineup, it comes to like little lineup uh variations that you can do. I just would like to see Kawhi and Jamichael more like, often together. I, I think that's fine. I don't think it does anything to mitigate, you know, minutes for guys. Get crazy. Throw – throw, like, hell, man, if you want to get super crazy, like if you really want to go to the nth degree of wild, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Marcus Morris, Jermichael Green, Montres Harrell will get you there. Because Kawhi's your ball handler and Paul George is your ball handler anyways. So what's it matter if you don't have, a, like, a traditional guard?
0: I li- If you like want to get group. crazy. I, I feel like that's a group you could throw out against Houston.
1: Oh my God. That'd be crazy.
0: All right, man. Well, let's wrap this up. We've gone 115 minutes venting uh, about the the last couple weeks and, and really the full season Um, to bring this full circle. I I think I want to end this on a positive note where ultimately this team is in a great position. As we talked about in the beginning of the podcast, a lot of this stuff has been overreaction, you know, overblown, criticism of you know a three-game losing streak I think if anything that shows how high the expectations are for this team that they go through a three-game losing streak and that becomes a national storyline that people are talking about on debate shows what's wrong with the Clippers you know it's, it's panic time for the Clippers like it, it, this team is fine the, these are champagne problems <laughs> uh but I, I think it's 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 what's been most interesting to me it was the is the one you know. Again, we've talked about the health all season. Uh, we know seating is important to any championship run, but for me, the the you know the closing lineup is always the thing I come back to. Again, I think I've mentioned it on basically every podcast I've done this season. I'm just fascinated by it, and I'm fascinated by who closes, how they do, and most recently, you know, in those three losses, those were all games that went to crunch time, and those were all games that I felt. Lou and Trez hurt the team defensively and they didn't necessarily do enough offensively to what, you know, like we didn't even mention Trez being just basically a non-factor against the Sixers offensively, you know, don't want to get too much into that, but like it being really just, just destroyed him on both ends. And, and Embiid is Embiid, but uh, Rudy Gobert has given him problems. You know, Jokic, I, I felt maybe didn't give him defensive problems, but definitely gave him offensive problems. And I just think that's something to monitor the dep- pet, like, you know maybe lakers and rockets it doesn't matter but jazz and and, and you know nuggets i think it, it is going to be a thing and whoever comes out of the east i think it's going to be a thing but um any final note for you and, and where can people find you on social media
1: um my final note would be at the end of the day the team's 38 and 19 they're 15 and 4 when Pat, PG, and Kawhi play, which is a 65 win pace, which I understand is a very small sample size. But when their best players play, they're a very good basketball team. And I think that's what people need to kind of take solace in is like, yeah, they haven't been healthy. And that sucks. And that's why their record is what it is. I mean, well, it's not the main reason, but you know what I mean? You know, you, you at the end of the day, you are your record. They're 38 and 19. They have a chance to get to the two seed, they're very good when they're healthy. They just have to stay healthy or else it doesn't matter what the postseason brings because like, you're you're just going to be going home early if you're not healthy. You know, I mean, it just comes down to if they do the little things, if they communicate on defense, if they rotate, if they move the ball, if they move themselves without the ball, if they actively play like a team, they're one of the very best in the world. And that's what I keep coming back to health or no health if they keep doing the right things, the simple things, which they have not done right several times, if they do the simple things correctly, they're going to be in a lot of ball games and they're going to win a lot of ball ballgames. Uh, as for where people can find me, you can find me on Twitter at FlyByNight. That's F-L-Y-B-Y-K-N-I-T-E. You can find all my work on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash flybynight.
0: All right, man. Uh, well, thank you. Uh, As always, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Jovan Buha. That's at J-O-V-A-N-B-U-H-A. And if you've not subscribed to The Athletic yet, I don't know what you're doing. I know I say that every podcast, but if you are still (laughs) listening and have not subscribed, uh, I hope you do so. You can go to theathletic.com slash Clip City to get a special discount that will also help out this podcast, help me out. Uh, So please check us out. Um, you know, it's, it's been a crazy couple weeks around the NBA with the All-Star break, All-Star game, trade, trade deadline, all that stuff, uh, the, the Kobe Memorial. So a lot of great stuff on The Athletic right now. Uh, so, so please subscribe and check that out. And I will be back most likely next week, potentially later in the week. But I will be back soon. And I look forward to talking to you guys then.